So last week, we began a new series called Their Own Eyes, and it's taken, it is the theme taken from the very last verse in the book of Judges that says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so we discussed from that point that God's people, God's children, they did not have an earthly king to follow. They had a heavenly king in God, but they didn't always submit themselves to him. But instead, uh, they did what was right in their own eyes. They got to basically pick and choose. This is what I think is right. God may see it as evil, but I will choose to do what I want to do. I'm going to go ahead and name this and claim this, that this is right. Okay, and we also talked about board games, didn't we? We talked about how sometimes when we play board games, we like to develop our own rules, okay, because it makes the game better, okay? So if you want to slap a 500 in the middle of the Monopoly board, and when whoever lands on free parking gets that 500, so be it, okay? We do that with board games, and it makes the game better, but it's not always... The, right, the wisest thing, the right thing to do that with the commands of God. Okay, we can't do what's right in our eyes. We can't change the rules uh, that God has established for life. And so last week served as a great intro into the book of Judges. So if you want to be brought up, brought up to speed, I encourage you to check that out. You can find that on Facebook. You can find that on the app. We had some trouble with YouTube last week. We didn't know if Big Brother was trying to censor us or not. Uh, but it turns out it was just an audio problem. So um, that would have been my first censorship. So kind of a something to be proud of there. But um, we also have a podcast too, if you just want to listen to the sermon that way. But um, what we'll be doing this week is we're going to get into the text a little bit more. So if you brought your Bibles with you, go ahead and crack those open. You can go to Judges chapter one, pull it up on your phone, do whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, but, uh, but God, whenever he led his people out of Egypt, headed towards the promised land, God has established tribes, okay, 12 different tribes uh, named after the sons of Jacob, all right? So anytime you hear, you know, Judah mentioned, you mentioned Benjamin mentioned, all of those don't have to do necessarily with a person, but with a full tribe. And as God was leading them towards the promised land, they approached the promised land, got there, and he began to allot for them different territories, okay? He would say to Judah, Judah, go to the southern region, okay? Dan, this is where your tribe needs to go. Benjamin, this is where your tribe needs to go. You go to the north side. You go to the east side. You go to the west side. West side. So all of those tribes are given a place to call home, right? And so in their job, the task that God has given them is to go drive out the inhabitants, okay? Get rid of them, move them out, um, do not live among them, and do not enslave them. Okay? And in many instances, God even says, don't even take their animals. Like, kill off their animals, get rid of their animals, get rid of everything. Okay? So what we find in Judges chapter 1 is sort of a report card, sort of a progress report, exactly how all of that is going. And, and what I want to do is I won't read everything that you see on the screen. I'm going to kind of skim a little bit, and you can follow along and kind of read through this. You'll get the idea of what I'm doing, okay? So, so let's, let's just skim this real fast. So the tribe of Judah, verse 19, Judges chapter 1, verse 19. Judah could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Seems like a reasonable, a reasonable thing, right? I don't have a chariot of iron. Do you? Judy doesn't. No. Okay? So this was sort of the tank of the ancient world. Now, whether Judah has a good excuse here, 
Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe there's a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God because God's people have overcome far more than just chariots of iron. But so Judah, mm, kind of an incomplete. Maybe they get a 50 on that one. All right, verse 20. Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Again, not exactly doing the job that they need to do there, okay? Um, but the people, okay, yeah, so that was verse 21. Sorry about that. All right, um, verse, you can skip to uh, verse 27. Go to verse 27. 27 says, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages. Okay, verse 28. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. So even there, you see, not only did they do an incomplete job driving the people out, but they did another thing God told them not to, and they enslaved them. Verse 29, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Uh, Verse 30, Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalol. Okay, I'm doing my best here. I say it different like every time. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Again, there you hear it. Unable to drive them out, but instead subjected them to labor, subjected them to slavery. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Acho or of Sidon or of Alab. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. So you get the idea, just sort of skimming some of those. These tribes, as well as many others, only did half the job. So this group failed to drive them out. That group failed to drive them out. 50%, 30%, only doing sort of a halfway job and doing it in portions. And so not only did they not drive them out, but you heard it a little bit, is that they failed, they failed to obey the commands of God and enslaved many of them brought them into their service, okay? And you're probably thinking, Justin, what's the big deal? Like, why not go ahead and enslave these people? Um, They can plow the field so we don't have to. They can bake the bread so we don't have to. They can clean toilets, okay? They can change poopy diapers. They can take Carson to soccer practice when we don't want to get out of the house. They can do all of these things. Why not go ahead and enslave them? Why not go ahead and make them work for us? We can control them, okay? It sounds nice. It sounds nice. Okay, we can even say to God, God, we understand that the whole religious thing, we understand that they believe other things and we believe, you know, in who you are. We can separate it. We can control it. And again, all of that sounds nice, but when men and women start to hang out with each other, what happens? There's a whole lot of how you doing going on, right? (laughs) Like men and women... They're made to interact. They're made to talk, okay? And so when, when men and women come together, families are made. Babies are born, see? Right? And so this is exactly what happens. Families are started, and you know how it goes. You know how it goes. Some of you, you know the story. Like you've got kids. You've got to ask yourself, how are, you, how are we going to raise our kids? Where are they going to go? Where are they going to worship? Some of you are at Beersheba because he was Baptist and you're Methodist, and that's good, and that's fine because we agree on who Jesus is, Right? But it's a different story with God's people and the Canaanites. It's not fine 
when God's people begins to marry, marry uh, people from these different tribes and because the conversations sound more like this. Well, I was, raised, I was raised in the temple of Jehovah. We believe in the one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God that led us to this promised land. I mean, sure, she worshiped at the temple of Baal and they do some weird things with goats and they beat each other with sticks and sacrifice baby and they bark like dogs at the moon at night. But other than, and some weird things that we can't really talk about in front of kids, but I mean, he's really cute. She's really cute. They're really funny too. Like it just doesn't work. It just doesn't mesh very well. Um, in the Bible, the Bible, this is what the Bible calls unequally yoked. You've probably heard that phrase before if you grew up in church, um, that a, a person who is not a believer versus that who is, is, is someone who's unequally yoked. And so to, to all the young men and all the young women, when it comes time to date, when it comes time to marry, like make sure that he or she has a relationship with Jesus. Make sure that they can tell you uh, about how they are growing in the Lord and how they are spending time with the Lord. Um, Because when you have families together, they worship together. That might be in the church. That might be uh, Saturdays in Starkville. That might be out on the lake. Wherever the case may be, families worship together. Make sure that you're worshiping in the right places, okay? So getting back into the book of Judges. Okay, God wants the people driven out. Uh, not only, so not only do they not drive them out, but they, but they enslave them, okay? They are convinced that they can control them, that they can keep them under their thumb. And, and just like the sin that we have in our own lives, um, sometimes we are convinced that we can control it. Sometimes that we think that we have a handle on, on the sin that is in our lives. And if we do not drive it out of our lives, it will one day rise up and rule over us, much like these people will that we're soon to read, okay? And 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, it says, it tells us to be sober-minded and watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I'm reminded of a story that I heard a pastor tell one time. He was watching one of those shows when animals attack. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where these animals, he, he's a big fan, I can tell. Um, they have these animals that have been trained. They're, they're, they're docile, they've been groomed, they've been trained. And they're, they're very gentle animals. But you get them in situations where they flip. And I heard this pastor tell a story of this lion was on the set of a watch commercial. This woman was selling these watches and they brought a lion on to do a commercial. Now, the correlation between lions and watch selling, I don't get it, right? Like, I don't know why you need that. But, but they had this woman posing next to this lion and wouldn't you know it, the lion uh, being a born predator is next to something that could be its meal. Um, at the end of the day, a lion's gonna do what a lion's gonna do. And so unfortunately, the lion attacks her. And it's something that they thought was tame, something ferocious that they thought that they had under control turned on them. And it's the true of the sin that we have in our lives is that we often think that we can tame it, we can control it, we have it under control. We don't necessarily need to address it. And, and so what we need to, to be told, reminded, whatever the case may be, if we don't drive out the unforgiveness and the bitterness that we have in our lives, it will slowly rot away at us. It will eat away at us. If you don't drive out the pride that you have in your life, you will continue to be offended at everything, at mad and mad at everyone. It's something that will rule over you. 
if you don't drive out uh, the lust in your life, it will take you places in life and, and online that you never intended to go. Um, if you don't put to death some of the jealousy and the envy that you have looking towards other people, always wanting what they have, you will never really have a happy, joyful life, not the kind of life that God intended for you. And so you have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, what is that sin that sometimes we think that we have under control uh, that we have just never really driven out? Because what God wants for us, what he, what he wants for his people in the book of Judges, past, present, and future, he wants us to have joy. He wants us to have life. He wants us to put out the sin that so easily entangles us. Okay, and so what I want to do now is, is as we get into Judges chapter 3, is we're going to slowly begin to meet some of the judges, all right? Now, and I said last week, uh, we're not thinking Judge Judy type judges, no one with a gavel, no one with a black robe, but these judges are people that God uh, would, would fill with his spirit that would be military leaders that would help lead them out of the oppression that they were experiencing, okay? And so if you go to Judges chapter 3, um, we're going to meet our very first judge, and so this is the condition of God's people. In Judges 3 verse 7 says this, It says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. Just like we mentioned earlier, right? Okay, families start blending together. I'm going to worship at her place of worship. Then she's going to come to mine. God said, no, I'm your God. You are with me, sold out to me. There is no worshiping these other gods. And so not driving the people out enslaving the people, bringing them, them into their homes, intermarrying with them, led them to their, led to their demise. Verse 8, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathium, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishrathmathamia. I just said it just a second ago. I'm going to call them Cushans, what I'm going to call them. Okay? The king cushion. Um, uh, and the people of Israel served him for how many years? Eight years. Okay, so for eight years. So the people, God gave them over to their enemies. He was no longer their strength. And those people that they should have driven out, those people that they should have driven off, are now in charge. Now they are the boss. Now why would God do that? I thought God was supposed to have their back. This seems a little cruel, doesn't it? Like, didn't God make a promise that we are his people? Didn't God promise that he had our back, that he was going to look out for us? All right, I want us to go back to, there's, there's a, an image of a cycle that I put on the screen last week, and we talked about this in our groups, is that God wants, God wants to bring us here. He wants, to fi- he wants us to find rest in the peace, right? This is where he wants us to live, in a place of peace. But yet we always drift towards sin. It's in that state of peace that if we don't have our eyes set on him, that we seem to fall back into our sin. And the only way to get them out of their sin is for them to see how bad it really is. The only way to bring these people out of their sin is to allow it, allow it to oppress them. Okay? And we live in a world that doesn't always understand how bad sin really is. Okay, that's true for the world. That's true for us. Sometimes we don't know how our sin is affecting us. We don't know how bad it is. We don't know how much it is pulling us away from not just God, but often the people that we love. Okay, God wants us to, to feel the effects of what sin does to us. Because that's the only way that we'll truly understand that we need a deliverer. 
And as much as we want to just kind of like, hey, God, can't we just take like a click back counterclockwise and go from sin to peace? God needs to bring us full cycle, okay? He, he needs us to understand how bad it is. He needs us to repent and cry out to him. He, we also need to experience what a deliverer looks like, okay? And so we are about to do that. And in, in some ways, we, we need to see and be reminded how wonderful God truly is, okay? So this is verse nine. Verse nine, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, there's the repentance part. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Verse 10, the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the the Lord gave Cushan, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand and his hand prevailed over Cushan. So the land, verse 11, so the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So how long did we have rest? 40 years. So the land had rest 40 years. One of the things that we pointed out last week is it seemed like this, this communion with God, this peace with God lasted about a generation, about 40 years. And we talked a little bit about the effect, why it's so important that we have a, a strong connection with our youth, a strong connection with our children. We ask questions, how well are we discipling them? How well are we investing in their lives? And how well are we talking about who Jesus is? All of those things. And so it brings up a great question about the next generation. And so we go from, from sin to peace, and so we, we rediscover, we repent, we move. And Othniel's story is, is kind of a standard story in terms of, of the judges. It's sort of like a fastball down the middle. Here's a dude that the Lord raised up. He saved us. There was peace for 40 years, okay? But there's another story that, that I want to read, and the storytelling tells the story itself, really. And, and all I need to do is just read it for you, and, and I'll make sort of my commentary along the way. But in verse 12, we meet another judge named Ehud, okay? And so it reads like this. And the people of Israel again, again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This was after about 40 years or so. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 13, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel and they took possession of the city of Palms. Does anyone know what the city of Palms is by chance? The city of Palms is Jericho. Okay, the city of Palms is Jericho. Does anyone remember what happened in Jericho relatively recently to this time period? The walls came tumbling down, right? Okay. So Joshua led his army around the walls of Jericho and the Lord brought down the walls and the God basically gave the city of Jericho to his people. Now all of a sudden, it belongs to someone else, which is in a way is kind of insulting, right? Because Jericho was sort of this, this, this pinnacle, this, um, this landmark, this, uh, I don't know, it's just a memorial in a way of God's victory, okay? in favor of his people, and now they lost it. Um, the way I was thinking about how to talk about this today, um, I know that we've got a lot, of, a lot of staters in the room this morning, and we got some old Miss, and we got a scattering of things. I, I want you to imagine this for a minute. I want you to imagine that Mississippi State balls out this year, okay? Um, let's, say, let's say they go 10-2, and two, right? 
and they, uh, it's laughable, right? Let's say they, they beat Alabama, okay? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, everybody wake up. <clears throat> so what do we tend to think? Like 10 and 2 might not be good enough to get into the Final Four conversation, but if you're a stater, what do you think? You think, oh man, what, if this is what this year looks like, What's next year going to look like? I mean, we've got, we got some starters coming back. It's going to be great. And then opening day, you lose to Appalachian State the next year. Right? And so then you're just like, oh, the season just started and it's already just ruined. That's almost how losing Jericho has to feel to God's people. Right? So Eglon and his crew, they have taken it over and they are now subjected. Okay? So verse 14, and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. Okay, let's put, let's put our cycle back up there. Can we throw that back up there? And so we have, we have Othniel dying during the period of peace. We lose that judge. And so without that leader, God's people fall back into sin, okay? And they begin to become oppressed again because they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and what was the time frame on that that we just read? That, the, that Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for 18 years. So 18 years of oppression, right? So that brings us to verse 15. Verse 15 says, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Again, there's that repentance. They cry out to God for help. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him, to Eglon, the king of Moab. So we meet Ehud, who the Bible goes out of its way to say that he is left-handed. How many lefties do we have in the room? Okay. All right, perfect. Yeah. So studies say, even to this day, that in any given time, there's about 10%. Lefties are about 10% of the population. And um, it was customary. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But it was customary. It says here in the passage that they sent tribute uh, by Ehud, to Eglon, and it was customary that if you were in sort of under the thumb of an empire, under the thumb of a ruler, you would send them tribute. You would basically bring them an offering. You would bring them food. You would do that on a regular basis to pay them tribute, basically to say, hey, don't hurt us any more than you already are. Don't make our labor any harder. We're working for you. We, we want to honor you and that sort of thing. And so verse 16, And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And so if you think for a minute, um, most of the time, I know when you carry a sword, you like to draw across your body, right? You're with me on that one. It's kind of weird to draw straight from your side. So most people would have their sword strapped on their left thigh and draw across their body with their right hand. Ehud, it was a little bit different, okay? drew from a different side. That's why the Bible gives us that. And, um, and this is where it starts to get really interesting. Verse 17, and he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. Now, the Bible in different places, um, like in the book of Genesis, when we meet Joseph, coat of many colors Joseph, the Bible describes Joseph as being very handsome in form and appearance. The Bible only says that a couple times about, I think David was described as handsome. And I've, I've always pointed out that when the Bible says that you're good looking, like thus saith the Lord, right? <laughs> the same is true with Eglon. Like when the Bible says that you're fat, like, yeah, when, you, when he sits around the house, he sits around the house type thing, okay? So, so very large man, large in biblical proportions. Um, verse 18 
And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out of his presence. So for whatever reason, Ehud is not considered a threat for, for him not to be searched. Um, I read some commentaries that, that his security guards may have only checked his left thigh and not his right thigh. Um, you would think that they would know Ehud was left-handed at this point. It could be, some commentaries also said that Ehud could have had a deformity in his right hand that made him use his left Okay, and that would, that would, then he would be perceived as a non-threat. Or it could simply be that because left-handed people are so rare, 10% of you, God bless each one of you, because you're so rare, they might have seen that as some kind of weakness. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of language in the Bible that talks about uh, the power of the right hand and sitting at the right hand of the Father and that sort of thing. For whatever the case may be, Ehud was not considered a threat. He, Ehud was trusted. It could also be that he's been, been bringing tribute for years and that he's never tried anything. It will be fine, okay? So verse 20. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. Verse 21. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. This is in your Bible, okay? So this is what happens when you're big, okay? The big belly, lots of poop, okay? The poop comes out. That's, it's science, okay? Verse 23. This is like a youth pastor's dream to get to like talk about stuff like this, all right? fat people. All right. Uh, 23, when Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them, verse 24, when he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. Why would they think that? Okay. Door is closed. They smell something. They're putting the facts together, okay? And and they waited, verse 25, they waited until they were embarrassed. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're, you're waiting patiently on something, and the more you wait, the more anxious and nervous you get about something. This is the point that they were at. They were thinking, something's not right. This is abnormal. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sariah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. Verse 28, and he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given you your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So again, if we have our cycle back up here, okay, reading through the story of Othniel, reading through the story of Ehud, they do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, 
they cry out to God for help after their oppression, okay? After they have been themselves been subjected to slavery. They cry out to God for help. God help us. God sends them Ehud in this case. Ehud delivers them and brings peace to the land. This time for how many years? 80 years, okay? Our boy, our boy Ehud's doubling up on it, okay? So Ehud is considered a very unlikely deliverer, as, as the text shows us. Um, whether he had a disability, whether he was considered uh, lowly because he was left-handed, um, or whatever the, the weaknesses that came along with that. But he was not considered a threat. And as we, as we look at that, there are many ways that, that Ehud, the unlikely nature of Ehud, points, points us forward to Jesus as an unlikely deliverer for us. Because here you have Jesus born in a manger, okay, born under what appeared to be very scandalous uh, set of circumstances, okay, lived a blue-collar life as a carpenter, um, he didn't aim to overthrow anyone by force. Isaiah 53 actually says that, that Jesus, of Jesus that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Yet every single one of these judges that we will meet, Othniel, Ehud, more judges to come, all of them, um, can and will only do in part what Jesus does in full. Okay, let that sink in for a minute. Every single one of them, every deliverer, every deliverance, every judge that would be brought up can only do in part what Jesus will do in full. And there will be so many opportunities for you and I, whenever we experience problems in our lives, we'll have so many opportunities choosing things that will be temporary fixes okay, for our problems. Whether that be a financial coach, to help us get into better financial shape, whether that be a 12-step program to help us fight some kind of addiction that we have going on, whether that is a new workout routine, okay, the latest workout fad to help us get in shape, whether that's a, a book on productivity so that we can accomplish more in the office, um, buying a new boat and some of the fun that that brings until it comes to November and December and we're still making payments and it's cold outside. Like, and all of those things are great. All of those things uh, uh, can be fun and can be helpful, but they only, like these judges, are temporary fixes to what is really, to, to really what our hearts are longing for. Okay? These things will never fill us the way that we are meant to be filled. These judges will never stand the test of time the way that Jesus can. And so with Othniel, served as a deliverer to God's people, brought peace for 40 years. Ehud served as a deliverer, brought peace for 80 years. But Jesus is our eternal deliverer, and he brings us peace for all time. We, we met in our, our groups just this last Wednesday, and, and I, as I mentioned before, we're talking about the sermon, and, and we were talking in our groups about this cycle. Okay, because this is a cycle that not only the people and judges experience, but it's a cycle that we sort of live in as well. That we, we, uh, we get into sin, we sort of get lost in our sin, we lose our way a little bit, and just things begin to just fall apart in our lives, and we cry out to God for help. And there's been so many instances, I know in this room, that God has brought us full circle back to him. Right? So this is, this is a, a cycle that occurs within large groups of people. 
and it's a cycle that occurs with us as well. And so we talked about in our groups, how do we break that cycle as individuals? Like, how, how do people break that cycle of living in sin, break that cycle of, of addiction and, and whatever the case may be, break the cycle of dysfunction? And as we were talking about it, I was thinking of, of whitewater rafting. Anybody ever been whitewater rafting, Ben? Okay, number of people. Um, I've, I've probably rafted the Okoe River about 10 times, okay? Took in a lot of youth groups up that way. And, and on the river, they have what's called hydraulics. Like there's certain rapids that are considered hydraulics is sort of the term for it. And the best way to describe it is as the water is rushing down the river, the way that certain uh, patches of water hits a rock and hits the bottom, it sort of creates this, this cycle almost like a washing machine. And boats can hit that hydraulic and just sort of spin and stay in that hydraulic if they hit it just right. All the rest of the boats can be just cruising down the river, just gallons and gallons of water moving past them, while this one boat is just going in circles in that hydraulic. And, and one of two things can happen to get you out of that hydraulic. Either an experienced boat guide can get you out of it, or some kind of outside force or outside boat can just basically ram you out of that hydraulic. And it just so happens that, that for us, okay, in, in this cycle of life, that Jesus is both. That Jesus is both the experienced boat captain and that Jesus is that force that drives us out of that cycle. And when Jesus breaks the cycle, he gives me and you an opportunity to live, li- live a life of peace. Okay? A life that is, is not a life of peace just for 40 years, which that's a long time. Not just a life of peace for 80 years, which that's an even longer time. But he offers us peace uh, for all time. And so wherever you are in this, wherever you find yourself, if you feel like the, the weight of sin is oppressing you, cry out to God. Okay, repent. Okay, turn your heart from that sin. Cry out to God and know that you don't have to wait eight years. You don't have to wait 12 years for a deliverer to show up. But he's already shown up for you. And the forgiveness that he has, that the peace that he has to offer you in that forgiveness is available to you and to me today. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you this morning and we dive, we dive further into the book of Judges and we see these people who are drifting from you, who are sold out one minute and whose hearts are hardened the next. And, and it's easy, God, to shake our heads at them and just wonder why, wonder why they don't figure it out, wonder why they don't put it together. Um, but Lord, it's also very humbling and revealing that we are not too different that we compromise on things that you tell us to do, that we often choose to do the things that grieve you, that we voluntarily dive into the cycle and we go round and round and round. And, and yet, Lord, you are good to us. You, you guide us out with your love. You push us out with your goodness. And so, Lord, help us to see where we are wrong. Help us to see where we need to repent, where we need to uh, submit our lives to you. Um, help us, to, help us to, to do that quickly. Help us to just rest in the salvation that you give to us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen.